Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hello, this is Mark Magnaca, and on behalf of the Adapter's Advantage podcast, I want to welcome our next guest, Amy Tully-Latka. Amy and I go back more than a decade in terms of our work together, and she's got a really unique background. She co-founded Maximum Impact Partners with her husband, John Latka, and she's been working in the financial services industry in a a wide range of roles uh, since 1982. She was part of the uh, inbound sales desk at Nuveen Investments, Then she spent years as a a regional wholesaler. She was a key account manager. And then she served as the national director for the independent dealer division for Nuveen. Later, working for Fidelity in what became the Fidelity Advisor Funds and building a sales team from scratch. In addition to all the work that she's done in the US, Amy's also spent a lot of time internationally. So she's got a really interesting perspective Uh, not to mention having a degree from Indiana University where you can only, it can only be said that you've learned a lot about uh, the management skills from some of the great coaches of all time. So with that, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) So glad to have you here. We have uh, so much to catch up on. I want to start off with one question that I know you've, you've gotten before, but given all the different things that the maximum impact partners do, and in particular that that you and John do for your clients, how do you answer the question, what do you do? So what we do at Maximum Impact Partners is we help salespeople make deeper and better connections with their clients. Across the board, that's really what we do. We're always helping our clients improve and make their connections, make connections with their clients to be better and more meaningful. Well, if you think about it, that's such a unique element of the financial services business where having that deep relationship matters. Uh, it's, you know, and there are many other industries where it is a much more transactional business, but uh, the business that you've pretty much grown up in and, um, and seen a lot of evolution in over that period of time is one where those deep relationships really make a difference. It's the only difference, Mark. You know, it's, it's the only differentiator. And as I've been in this business for a long time to know that at one point we had products that differentiated us. Well, one, we, somebody, we have a product that was better than another. Uh, I started out selling municipal bonds and an 05 would get you the sale, you know, like an improvement. So now we've really come into the place where we don't have a product differentiator We don't have either features or benefits that are differentiators because they can be replicated. And we really are down to what is in many commodities, the differentiator is a salesperson that represents them. And it's the ultimate relationship sale. And that salespeople really have to deepen and understand that because they're professional tiebreakers. They are out making the difference. And I ask all the time, um, would you, do you have a competitor Are there competitors out there that if an advisor chose that product, that they would be injured or hurt or not served by that product? And people say, no, actually, no, no one's going to be hurt by. 
So how do you make a decision when you've got not just two good options, you've really got 10, 100 good options. Right. The relationship is what breaks the deal. The break, all ties break to who I know better. And no, not who I know better, but who really feels understood and who really, which of my clients really feels uh, that I'll take care of them? Who feels best about the context of our company, our product, and my own personal knowledge of you? I care about you. So I'm going to get the deals type. They're going to break my way. You know what's so interesting, Amy, what you just described for some personality types who really assess the world in a purely logical sense. What you just said is so hard in some ways uh, for certain people to understand because it's hard to imagine that it doesn't come down to a quantitative mathematical sort of difference. But as you and I both have experienced in this industry, in many cases, the products are either identical or very, very close to identical. And that last part, it wasn't what you just described there, not just that they had a better relationship, but what that meant was really a deep understanding and an almost an empathy around understanding where this person is coming from and what they're trying to accomplish and that that piece becomes the differentiator rather than the product. It's so true. And you know, we do see it with models now that really are so quantitative and that you know, you'll say that in some um, sophisticated environments where you've got teams of advisors and an enormous amount of quantitative data that that there isn't a decision that's made by a machine. So we have some machine decision-making, but even the machine comes up with two good options. It's a great, it's a great point. So let me pivot, Amy, from that to this idea of um, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Oh man, I love what I do so much. I am so lucky to, I, I really like working with other um with business people who have uh, a high energy and a high motivation. I mean, feel like so fortunate every single day. Uh, when I shifted gears actually and started Maximum Impact Partners and I had audiences of people who were other wholesalers, key account managers and salespeople who I really knew and could connect with. And so open-minded, so wanting to be better, so, committed to having a conversation and like rolling up your sleeves what does it take to be better that's so energizing it is the there's so much knowledge that is represented in my clients they everything that they know it's all inside of them and what i love most is just like unleashing what they already know yeah yeah. And, and you're like getting them to like really feel fully empowered. I mean, to me, that is, I can't believe I get to do that because it seems like it's simple. Like I can't believe I get to do that. So Amy, as some people are listening to you and they can hear the enthusiasm in your voice, uh, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, you and I have, have shared the stage uh, in so many different times and what I can vouch for the fact is even the nights that you came in on a red eye or you were working five days straight uh, you know, in front of a, a group, um, you'd show up in the morning and be able to emit that kind of energy. And I think you know, now more than ever, people are attracted to that kind of energy 
where the person just seems to be enjoying what they're doing and uh, you want to be a part of it. And so, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about that skill set and even that skill set as it relates to uh, being in this, this more virtual world that we're experiencing now. But first, I want to ask you about one unique element of your business uh, that may be of interest, and that is around the fact that you and your business partner, you're, you're not only business partners, but you're also husband and wife. Um, how have you what do you believe has been the common denominator to make it work where you are both uh, married and in business together? Wow. And that's just like, there's so much in that. Like that's probably uh, enough content for a book. <laughs> but, uh, but I think I there would... have been books on that topic. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say like, if, if we go back to the beginning, first of all, John and I always work together. Uh, I met him. He was chief marketing officer at Naveen and I ran one of the distribution divisions there. And I think all of us can relate to the war that exists oftentimes between sales and marketing. And you know, like I've joked to say that there's one way to solve the differences between sales and marketing, and that's just marry each other. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but we did have the advantage of an enormous amount of respect for each other as um, professionals. We also have a yin and yang look, which I also knew already existed. John sees things from a methodical, more analytical, and a step-by-step -step way of you know, like what actually needs to be done. And I have more of a, um, a, a high communication, more creativity, like a, a, and we come together in a way that I think is a, a really good match. But as far as being married to each other, and you know, I, I love being in business with John and um, you know, business partnerships fail at a very high rate, actually. They rate, they fail at a higher rate uh, than marriages. And when we Which is a pretty high rate. It's, which is also a high rate. Like, yeah. I think it's a 60% rate of failures for business partnerships. So when we started the business, one commitment that we made to each other was that a good marriage was a higher value for us than a good business. That's great. And that we had to really keep course correcting on that all over the course of the last 22 years, keep course correcting to make sure, are we still honoring that the higher value mm -hmm. is our marriage and our family is, that's our higher value. And that really, the course corrections really lead you to what I think is the ultimate secret of having a business partner uh, and that is to have a good divide and conquer strategy to know very clearly who's responsible for what. That's um, a, yeah, stay out of each other's sandboxes, you know, have each other's backs, but know who does what. What have you seen as the biggest challenge in your business that you've had to adapt to since the start of COVID-19? Well, the challenge is that there's a lot of hurt, like there's a lot of hurt out there. There's a lot of um, fear. Uh, and I think the biggest challenge has been stepping up in a way that how can we help our clients through this? Uh, the business challenge ultimately is that so much of what we do is a face-to-face -face connection and converting a face-to-face -face connection to uh, be equally um, uh, valid and have equal amount of power 
but not be in the same room as each other. So the shift to virtual is, um, has been uh, the biggest change. The biggest challenge though, is the same challenge it was before we had COVID, Mark. It's, uh, I can always seem to get 15 pounds of sugar into a 10 pound bag. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just the overcommitment. And because now you don't have travel time, Mm -hmm. which was the time that I took to regroup and think about what's next. I literally now will look at my calendar and think, oh my gosh, I've, that next meeting starts in two minutes. <laughs> I know. I, isn't it amazing? Yes. Talk about work expands the time allotted to it. Yes. Almost everybody listening had some form of a commute and now they don't have that commute, but they're still busy sort of back to back. It's, you know, I think that we don't, we've never put enough emphasis on our thinking time and our regroup and energy, you know, the level of energy. And this has really, for a challenge for me, has really caused me to now have to go back after all of these weeks and think about the way I'm scheduling things to allow myself both, not only to be prepared uh, and I'm prepared from a content standpoint, but really to be prepared from an energy standpoint, right. to give yourself that, you have to invent now and install what was the ride up the elevator, you know, to breathe right. in and breathe out, you know, the walk through the airport to breathe in and breathe out and to anticipate and think about, you know, the next client that you're going to be working with. And I, I now have to put that in. So I think that the biggest challenge for me in my business has always been um, over committing given the amount of time that I've got. I think that uh, there's probably a lot of people who would be listening to this podcast who just call yourselves guilty. You yeah. overcommit. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. What do you see as the biggest change that's happened for your business when you move to this virtual training model? I think the change actually is in the engagement that um, how you engage and how you learn. Uh, and I have to say, Mark, I learned this, the first time I learned this lesson of efficiency and communication was when I took the impact selling program to Japan mm -hmm. and I didn't share a language with anyone. And so because I didn't share a language and everything I was saying was translated, I had to be really efficient in what I said so that the learners, the audience could learn things. And I had to turn things over to them so they could discuss things. Right. And I learned that that's where the greatest learning happened. It was when the right questions were asked and they could learn from each other. And I, this lesson has come back to me through this period of time that the, the changeover in terms of learning is to know that uh, I may have scheduled an all-day meeting with a group of people for a workshop. Mm -hmm. And in a face-to-face -face environment, I would just pray that I could keep their attention for the right. But you know that you really don't. Right. Well, in, in a, a Zoom environment, you have to pull the efficiency of that down into really narrow, much smaller bites where you've got uh, an idea that you present in uh, a discussion for the group so that it's very interactive. And without that interaction, uh, there is exhaustion. And it really, we just can't pay attention for that long. And you and I have debated this for a long time because you've said, you know, 
we're all moved. We, nobody learns anything unless you can learn it on a three minute YouTube video. And, uh, <laughs> and I've argued, no, no, people listen to me for like eight hours and you're like, they're right. not learning anything. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the beauty of it, Amy, is that, you know, um, not certainly not everything can be done in three minutes, but the point you made earlier, the preparing for it and thinking about how to create a dynamic where really what people want is to learn from their peers when at all possible. Right. So the, the structure and the framework that, and you know, with using technology to put people in a separate zoom room, giving them a, a, a question to discuss with their peers, you can actually do so much of what we did by flying everybody together. You yes. can do in this environment. It's absolutely positively, not only doable, I believe it's better. I really do. You know, I, I hadn't even thought about this until we just started talking about it, but I was at uh, Marconi Beach uh, on Cape Cod, and it's called Marconi Beach because uh, uh, Enrico Marconi sent the first wireless signal from this beach overseas. And then later the Marconi wireless was used on ships all over the world and actually was what the uh, Titanic used to signal that uh, they were sinking. Well, the reason I bring that up is when you think about both wireless communication from the early 1900s and then even the telephone, there were so many people in that time, and, and granted the shift didn't happen as quickly as this one did, but that were used to just face-to-face. -face. The only thing the world knew was face-to-face -face communications or a telegram, right? That was it. And the idea that you were going to call someone and just use your voice rather than meet with them face-to-face but then over time, the same kind of breakthrough happened in this realization, which is, man, the phone is so efficient versus right. riding my horse to go see that person, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and then realizing they're not home. Right. So, so I, I think that those kinds of ahas are starting to happen in this environment. And again, we'll filter out the things like the, the special dinner out or the special concert that you want to see. Um, I, I think we'll find a way to do it but um, maybe in a different pace than what had happened previously. I think we're, we're heading to better, Mark. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it remains to be seen, but that there's a lot that we're learning from this time that I think will serve us. And that's a great segue to, um, you know, one of the things you were just talking about, and I've seen you do this in both the live and the virtual world, but for people listening, what are some of the techniques that you've learned to be able to build rapport with a virtual audience, given that you have a limited amount of time on most calls? Well, one is, uh, I actually, this is another lesson I learned in Japan. It, when you ask a question to an audience in Japan, no one answers you. And, and I found this to be, you know, um, it was challenging as a facilitator asking a question and then trying to get the audience to respond in some way. And I asked my translator and she said that um, it's not polite to speak up. So I, I learned a lesson from that and I apply it here and I would say this is really something we get. We all talk over each other and we've all been on those Zoom calls where you start and stop. Right. So as a facilitator, I tell people when we start, I'm going to call on you specifically right? because that is going to uh, give some energy to the discussion. And you are, you can say that you have nothing to add and I'll move on to someone else. 
but I'm going to ask individual people to respond to questions. And I think that is one part of both engaging and keeping people alert. You know, they don't know, this isn't intended to uh, uh, point a finger at them in any way, right. because I, not at all. On the other hand, if you're having a discussion and you think that the facilitator at any moment in time <laughs> is going to say, Mark, what do you think about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. It changes things. It changes things. And it also changes the person who's um, in the room, and you've had them, Mark, the one who takes up all the space in the room. Yeah. Because I'm going to call on you, uh, answer when I call on you. I'll, I'll unmute you. <laughs> right. Right. Wouldn't it so, be great to have that in the live class? Yes. <laughs> you're, on, you're on mute right now. Yes, uh, you're muted. Yeah. But that, that I think that that's one technique. And the other technique is to um, keep the audience small in a Zoom call. Mm -hmm. So uh, unless it really is just a presentation, and I did a webinar last week, I think there were 600 people on it, and it was just me speaking. So it was a webinar and everyone's listening. Okay, that's okay. Right. But real engagement is you've got 10 max 15 people on a Zoom call right. where you're going to be learning something, discussing it. I'll be asking pointed questions. I will be putting up a poll. I'll be moving you into Zoom rooms to have short discussions, meaning five minutes. Because I would have put broke in face-to-face, -face, I break people out for 15 minutes of discussion. On Zoom, five. Yeah, absolutely. All of these things are, it actually, probably even face-to-face, -face, I could have done it in five. Now I want to pivot to this terrific idea that you've brought from the world of football into the world of sales. <laughs> and I know you call it the combine. So can you explain what is the combine and why has it been so effective for your clients? The combine is... Uh, we, we call it the combine because what we witnessed in watching the NFL combine that um, the players all get together and, um, and so do all of the coaches. And all the coaches get to put eyes on players and um, they don't see them, they see them just simply run through specific skill drills. Right. And all the drills are exactly the same and all of the coaches are putting their eyes on exactly the same. And I, in witnessing this, I really could see that the sales management component in our clients, they never really get to see talent in that way. They don't get to put their eyes on talent running through individual skill drills. Mm -hmm. And I find that sales managers, if I call them the coaches in the equation, they are actually looking at their own team members and they look at them through different lens. They're saying, oh, well, he usually runs that 40 faster. T typically, I see him run that 40 faster. Right. And I'm saying, you don't have to put your eyes on it. Like, we're running everybody through the drill. And on the day of the combine, your score is where, how, you, how did you run the 40 that day? That's right. Not how do you run it on average over the course of your career, but how do you run it on that day? And so this actually became in the commitment to continuous improvement. There is a requirement that the coaches identify the skills that are critical and that in order for the players to be really good and successful, they have to be good at these specific skills. So the coaches have to identify the critical skills and know what good looks like. Right. And without knowing what good, you can't know what good looks like unless you see that skill expressed across many different people, not just your own. Yep. 
So that's really where this comes from. And I feel like the combine has um, illuminated this entire concept of what real coaching is because managers know that they have to get to the goal. They know that they, that there's metrics that they have to meet. There's all kinds of uh, uh, things that managers are managing all the time. But when it comes to coaching, they really make the assumption that like, let's say everybody needs to be better at presentation skills. And it like, in order to be better as a sales team, we're going to apply this solution and you're all going to go through presentation skills training when really only 20% of the team needs it. Right. So the, the, if you don't look at the drill, if you don't look at presentation skills and score everybody across exactly the same drill, you're going to waste a lot of money on presentation skills for people that don't need that and need something else. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. And the segue uh, that I wanted to ask you about, given your, I mean, you're an uh, industry recognized expert on territory management, using that as an example, there are some people who are good at this and some people that, that aren't. Um, what's changed around the way people demonstrate how they manage a territory in this virtual world versus when they were doing the actual kind of milk run? It's, well, now they know. Uh, actually, Mark, I've been saying for a long time that in our industry, we've been calling people hybrids, you know. And I've told sales managers for a long time, it's done my soapbox. It's not hybrid. It is the way it should be done. Right. right. And now, you know, we've not, we, we have such a habit of milk run that we can't get ourselves off the juice of a milk run. We just yeah. can't stop doing that. Now we've been force fed the world of what we've been calling hybrid wholesaling. And that is um, continuous real connections with an agenda right. with, for a meeting that's going to happen. And it's either gonna be uh, via Zoom, we're either gonna be face-to-face -face or on the phone, but I can show you documents, we can run through things. There's really nothing that's different Right. except that I can be more efficient. And then when required, like I've even seen for in the last couple of months, big retirement plan services companies have large closing presentations with 15 people in the room, yep. virtual, and get it done. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, um, the, the, nothing actually changes except there is more efficiency. And most firms have experience in, what they call the hybrid model. It's just that their entire external sales force are now in that model. And I think I'd be, actually, I'd be curious if there are any sales managers who listen to this podcast who, who've actually witnessed this, that I've seen um, the internal external sales team become much more integrated into how, who they're calling on, who's doing what, Right. Instead of like the internal is going to take 300 relationships and the external is going to take 100. Now they're taking all 400 and they have, they, they can pivot. Like there's sure. much more of an opportunity to really help advisors who really need a lot of help right now. Right. Uh, I want to pivot from that concept to your experience at Stanford because you've been participating in a class online yourself and, um, can you just talk a little bit about what your experience has been in terms of learning and what you've learned in this online forum? 
Yeah, actually, it's been so great. It's so great to be the student, you know, uh, and um, to be exposed to such, you know, uh, good thinking and, you know, great uh, ideas coming from uh, university, from professors, etc. The, the experience has been that when you watch the way other people teach, you learn how to be a better teacher. Sure. And Stanford has set up uh, this series of online learning that really kind of follows the same sort of thing, Mark, that, you, um, that you've been building a, at a Lego and that we've been talking about for a long time. It's a concept. It's a setup by the professor to discuss the concept, compelling, you know, ideas, and then a video to watch. And in the video, there's some evidence and some good information. Then there's an activity, something mm -hmm. you have to go do. Right. And, uh, and so it's actually not onerous. Do that on, your, on your own or with? You do it on your own. Yeah. Your and, and you can, um, you know, pull in a team of people who you do it together with, but you have to have the experience and you come back and talk about the experience you had in the activity. So it's not onerous. It's not um, writing papers or, you know, doing the research yourself. It's actually tapping into the experience you have of applying the ideas that come out of, you know, what, what's, what's in here. And because this is all done online, it can spread out over time. So we're going to learn one lesson over the course of seven days. Yep. And so every day for seven days, we're going to take 30 minutes to learn something. And your commitment at Stanford is to engage in all aspects of that. How fabulous is that? Yeah. And it does teach you as a teacher myself, like a facilitator and a, a teacher, a coach, a consultant myself, learning how I learn and how engagement looks like. It, it's really fascinating. And, um, and yeah, I really love to go back to college. I actually think that would now it would now I would get now it. Now you can appreciate it, right? <laughs> yeah, now I would get it. Yeah. So Amy, I've got just two more questions. Um, one of the things I think about how much the business has changed since you were first on the sales desk in 1982, and I know that you're you're a part of a number of women's groups and um, and sort of paying attention to some of the unique challenges and opportunities for women. Um, what in your role as a mentor and, and helping to connect women in financial services, both in the financial, in the retirement plan space um, and other parts of the business as they develop their careers, what would you say is the biggest challenge that exists right now as they try to adapt in this new environment? Well, Mark, I think that the, there's more good news for women in this environment because work from home is a better alternative for professional women. Because as professional women, we don't need a lot of time at home. We need a little bit of time. <laughs> right. You know, we need a little bit of time. We need uh, time to let someone in the door. We need, yeah. you know, time to let the plumber in. We need time. Uh, you know, we, our, our children are handled, you know, as professional women, we have, um, you know, if you've got little kids, you have a solution for that. But being home, when they get home from school, is... Uh, it, it doesn't take away from your day. Actually, it adds to your day. There's so much about it that's just better. And I've always thought that it, uh, um, there's a lot of autonomy that comes in a wholesaling role. 
And, and as when I was a wholesaler, I never had children, but I did have a lot of autonomy. And I have always appreciated and wanted to have that kind of autonomy. But the way that I think about opportunities expanding for women now, um, it's not just sales roles that have more autonomy. Mm. And it is all roles that have autonomy that your life, the, um, the ability to stay true to your values, to have your family be in the number one spot right. without ever taking anything away from your contribution to your company. I mean, I, I don't know any professionals who are thinking, how can I squeeze in? How can I steal time from the company to spend more time with my family? You know, you're thinking about how do I achieve all the things that I want to achieve in business? So as you described this, you know, maybe there will be a new shift uh, and a realization that for, for some people, and in particular, some women who thought I can't do that kind of role because I can't be away on an airplane or whatever the case might be, which by the way, men may have felt the same way, but just sure. the, the cultural dynamic that was at hand somehow made it, made it easier for men to get on the plane and go. Um, right. But now this, in this uh, environment, I hadn't really thought about the fact that there, it's actually creating flexibility for both men and women that didn't really exist before. That's a great spot as we wrap up here. Um, as you know, I have a phrase that, that I love to use called, now what? And so uh, of all the things we've talked about, what's the one thing that you wanna leave our listeners with uh, based on what, what we've discussed, the one thing that you'd recommend that they do um, based on the, the tough subjects that we've covered in this conversation? Well, this is, uh, this is the power is in the people in your organization and that um, people uh, make contributions to your organization across the board, the whole person comes in. It isn't just their skills, it isn't, it's their whole person actually makes a contribution to the organization. And if I said, now what? I'd say, uh, we really have to look at and understand that um, it's not the building you work in, it's not the office environment, the culture that you create as a leader is all about the people first, people before numbers. And I think that this actually leads to better numbers. And that's where continuous improvement, continuous uh, higher levels of performance, it's all coming from people watching people, people connecting better with people. It's about the people, people. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, for people who want to learn more about you or Maximum Impact Partners or the work that your company does, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, reaching me through um, email is good, Amy, A-M-I, at gotimpact.com. I'd love to hear from anyone and start a conversation. Linking in with me on LinkedIn is also awesome. And um, our website is um, gotimpact.com. Kind of like got milk, but got, like got milk, got impact. Yeah. So that that's um, that. All of those ways are great ways to reach me. Well, I want to say it's uh, just a pleasure talking with you, and so great to see your energy continuing to work its magic uh, in the virtual realm, just as it did in the live one. Thanks, Mark. Back at you. You're that. You're that guy. <laughs> great talking with you, Amy. Thank you're you. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. 
If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.